0: Welcome, everyone, to the Not Funny Guys presents Why: Exploring the Philosophy, Rhetoric, and Cultural Impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some but not a lot about philosophy. Yeah. Rhetoric. Yeah. And of course, we know when it comes to comic culture, it's all it's the movies, movies. yeah. But that, folks, is why he's here to talk to me. Because I know too much. Uh, This pod is an extension of our main podcast, The Not Funny Guys Presents, Off the Reels, where we explore the films. And it's here that we're going to go a little bit deeper into some of the ideas and have some debate. And we're going to start by asking that age-old question, why? So, folks, this is episode 15, Avengers Endgame. And we're going to start off with some comic book origins. And we have a few people to touch on, okay? Four. First of all, we're going to touch on Howard, Anthony, Walter, Stark, aka tony stark's dad he first appeared in iron man number 28 in in 1970 he was created by archie goodwin and don heck he is of course we know him as tony's dad loosely of course strangely enough both he and tony are loosely based on millionaire eccentric howard hughes in a strange way um he founded stark industries where he designed, developed military weapons. He married Maria Stark, and together they had their own son, Tony. In the comics, it's it um it is through Howard that Tony inherited a pension, by the way, for alcoholism. Uh, which hey, they really dealt with or <laughs> they didn't really exploit that in the films, except kind of in Iron Man 2. But in the in the comic books, Iron Man is literally a recovering alcoholic. Um, of course, we've had two different actors play howard stark in the mcu we had one who sort of appears in iron man one as a still shot but they recast him played by john slattery in iron man 2 um when he uh makes an actual film appearance that where he talks to tony um of course uh we saw him appear in such things as iron man 2 We also saw a younger version, of course, of him played by Dominic Cooper in Captain America First Avenger and in Agent Carter. So technically, we had three people play him. We had a stock photo version for Iron Man 1, and then the actual on-screen performances come from older version John Slattery. also see in Avengers Endgame. Uh And then Dominic Cooper, I think, is Casey's preferred one in Captain America First Avenger and Agent Carter. I think he's mine too. If I'm, I mean, if we're
1: getting into the. I have to, a thing for John I, Slattery. I don't, I just love John Slattery. I, John I, Slattery is a great older Stark. I can't, I can't is. argue that. Yes. But, but Dominic, I mean, he's just so much fun in that, in that Agent Carter show. Yeah.
0: You know, him and, him and Mad Men is always, and I love the fact that this is like an, feels like an extension of that same character. Of course, we have the real life Jarvis. Uh, before he was play, uh, voiced, um, in Iron Man's suit and his house is by Paul Bethany and the MCU. Edwin Jarvis was in real life, a man and Butler to the Stark family and later the Avengers team in the comic books In the films. He uh, appeared in the flesh and blood in the, both agent Carter series and we see him in Avengers Endgame game played by Jane Darcy Darcy, I don't know. Comic book character of course was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and first appeared in tales of suspense number 59 in 1964 he was a sort of a supporting character of Iron Man, the Avengers, uh, took care of the Avengers mansion, which was like in the middle of New York City before they ever had a tower. Uh, and of course, he does have a backstory very similar to um, what's that name of Butler that Batman has? You remember? What's his name? Pennyworth. Uh, Alfred? Oh. Alfred. Yeah, that's it. Similar Royal uh, British Royal uh, military mm-hmm. service. And Of course, Jarvis was a Royal Air military during World War II. Um, before he became, quote unquote, a manservant to Howard and Maria Stark. It's a good thing he's British. They don't seem to have much problem. That's kind of a respected role in British, not so much in American society. Well, I
1: feel like, I don't know, maybe it's too much down to Nabby, but I feel like Butler was a very uh, prestigious role. There is a prestige at, at, a point, if you're points. in the
0: downstairs. Yeah. very class it's a very class thing yeah well um british what, well, what, all, for a long time the british were all british
1: mechanism it. isn't yeah i know
0: <laughs> of course we also have morgan stark who in the uh mcu is hmm. tony stark's daughter however in the comic books it was tony stark's male cousin full t- name, full name morgan e stark first appeared in tales of the Spence number 68 in 1965 he grew up believing that Howard, Tony's father, had cheated his father, Howard's brother, Edward, mm-hmm. out of shares in the co- family company. He eventually oh, becomes kind of a quasi-villain to Tony and teams up with many of Tony's villains to try and seize control of Stark Industries.
1: Oh, snap. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Finally, we have Cassie Lang. Now, I know we have seen her before in Ant-Man and Ant-Man and Wasp, but I feel like we are on the precipice here of really introducing her as a major character going into Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. So I wanted to bring her up because the Cassie Lang we come to see in Avengers Endgame has, did not blip. Uh, so we now see her age into a teenager. So we have Cassandra, her full name, Cassandra Cassie Lang. Which at this point she'd be, what, 16, 17? I think she's close to like 15, 16, somewhere in the 17 range, I think. Of course, uh, she grew up and eventually will become a member in the superhero genre, which we start to see in Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania. She was created in the comic books by uh, David McLerny and John Byrne in 1979 and first appeared in Marvel premiere number 47, where she was the daughter of Scott Lang. Um, and she herself has taken on several superhero identities. First of all, she appeared in Cassie Lang in 1979. She was revived as Stature. Basically, she'd use the Pim particles to grow into like Goliath and the Young Avengers number six in 2006. And I think her favorite, I think I'll speak of her Casey here. He can correct me in the comments if he wants to. I'm pretty sure his favorite version of her is Stinger which appeared in the astonishing Ant-Man number six in 2016, where she dressed more traditionally like the wasp. Now her stature incarnation was created by Alan Heiberg and Jim Chung and her stinger by Nick Spencer and Anna Palloa Martello. Now in the MCU, of course, one of the big things we've done here is rather than being named after Pepper's eccentric uncle, Morgan is not Tony's cousin, rather his daughter. But more importantly, what I really wanted to talk about in regards to Endgame, because it will come to play some significance later when we talk about Loki, is what's the deal with time travel? Let us start by saying that Back to the Future and Bill and Ted lied to us, or did they? So this, of course, is something that Ant-Man and Hulk are discussing, and what is really going on here is one of three different theories around time travel. So there are three different theories. There is what's called a fixed timeline, a dynamic timeline, and a multiverse. The multiverse one, just a spoiler for you folks, is the one that the Avengers are operating off of. Now, a fixed timeline basically states that even when parties travel back in time, the future they left cannot be changed. All mints remained fixed in time. The actions of the travel in the past have already become part of the history this is known as an as the Nikovov self-consistency principle. For example, say you travel back in time in order to kill Adolf Hitler as a baby, which is sort of an implied version of what Rhodey does when mm-hmm. talking about Thanos, in order to prevent World War II. You replace him with an orphan baby so that the family will not notice. You travel back to the future, and the replaced baby grows up to become Adolf Hitler. So you can't change it. Right. This is seen in such things as the Terminator. Harry Potter um, three, which is the prisoner of Azkaban and 12 monkeys play using this kind of theory where you actually cannot really change the timeline of events. But that also comes down to an idea
1: of, of nurture over nature, right? A little bit. It's like the idea that
0: it's, it's, you know what it is? It's, it's inevitable. Thanks Thanos. All
1: right.
0: Now the dynamic timeline is, I think is this is closer to what Hank, um, not Hank, but uh, Scott and them. and I say roadie are talking about what they think time travel works okay Mm -hmm. this is the idea that alter in a dynamic timeline altered events in the past have definite impacts on the present for example if you travel back in time and kill your grandfather you also prevent your own birth and your eventual trip back in time in turn your grandfather is never killed and you are born again only to go back in time and kill your grandfather anyway you basically have created a paradox a loop so if you try to alter the past, there is a distinct outcome, but like you can actually cancel it out. And this is what you actually see going on in things similar to what you see in Bill and Ted and Back to the Future. If you do actually alter the things like killing yourself, you actually. So if we applied this to Avengers Endgame, when Nebula kills her older, her past self, if we had been in a dynamic timeline, Nebula would have um, vanished and then those events would have canceled each other out. She wouldn't have been there to kill herself, therefore, blah blah. It would have basically Weird. been a paradox. She couldn't have killed herself without actually never being able to do it in the ah, first.
1: Place. Yeah, but but the in this, well, I guess this oh. is maybe we'll what you to the third dynamic because yeah. this is a, a different thread at this point. Right, well, it's that basically
0: that saying that time can be altered, but there can be consequences like a paradox. Mm-hmm. Now, what okay. we're really dealing with here in the MCU is what they call the multiverse theory concept of a multiverse supports alternate timelines in an infinite number of parallel universes traveling into the past causes a new divergent timeline from the past because of this the traveler can do anything with impunity and only the new timeline will be affected for example if you travel back in time and kill all your grandparents which i don't know why you would do that nothing happens (laughs) there is no paradox you have simply created a new timeline in which you will not exist but the original timeline is unaffected. This is the idea that the Hulk is trying to espouse to them that they really can't actually affect their own timeline. They will though, uninterestingly enough, be con- creating alternate timelines. Um, however, you cannot return- Which to continue on, right? At that yeah. point, as we yeah. will come to learn later. So Strangely to- enough, in this one though, you're actually not able to return to the original timeline. So they're kind of bending that rule. And this is more akin to what you see in things like Terminator 2 and 3, uh, the Star Trek, when they ma- re- reinvented the Kelvin timeline for the rebooted movies and the mm-hmm. Misfits, the way that Spock could not return to the original universe once he was in the alternate universe. Right. So we're really dealing here with uh, the MCU is more working more inside the multiverse theory, which brings us to a, a question about the ethics of time travel. Okay. Okay. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of grounds for arguing that it is never morally permissible to ta- to time travel. Though I would say, because there is, of course, the moral risk. You do not know if you're operating inside of a multiverse, a dynamic, or, of course, you won't change anything in a fixed timeline. Um, so Banner must hope that he's definitely right about the way time travel actually works. Uh, of course, this does tie in some ways to what we see in Loki season one. Because he is aware that the Avengers have been time traveling because he's brought before the TVA and when he's standing there and asked who if he thinks that there is another party who's guilty of crimes against the sacred timeline he tells judge Renslayer the Avengers mm-hmm. and she says what they did was supposed to happen so but what she- i want to explore a little bit here is was what the Avengers did ethical and keeping in mind that later this week we will be talking about falcon winter soldier which mm. specifically deals with the fallout of avengers endgame were the avengers ethically shall we say ethically correct in their or correct in their ethics or maybe even if not ethically correct morally justified let's go with that one and going back in time to undo what thanos did what do you think hmm were they morally justified well, let's, let's, let's take, let me take a moment here so if morals yeah. is a personal set of beliefs of what is right and wrong ethics is guidelines that basically determine proper behavior so right. in a way the TVA, in some sense has given them an ethical pass based on what we see in loki mm-hmm. they gave them an ethical pass because maybe they weren't ethically correct however based on the the idea of personal morality, do you feel like they were justified in what they did?
1: So I, my answer isn't just black and white, I feel like, because oh, be. I, on one hand, y- yeah, I understand why they did it, right? They're heroes, they're trying to, correct right or wrong right which i think is is that principle the hero principle um and i i think that from those aspects it's fine i also think that if you're talking about if you're looking at it in ways that they explained it which is that they can go through and kind of do the snap to undo everything my actual issue, now that I think about it, comes more from the fact that they snapped five years later instead of essentially snapping right when Thana snapped the first time, right? And so that the the questionable choice I would have for them is not so much that they went back and tried to undo the damage, it's that they didn't undo the damage. They waited five years and then brought people back. And, and that, to me, shows short-sightedness in actually understanding the consequences of their actions now that would be argued by you know baron zemo and others that that is probably not uncommon for the avengers um but i i think to me that that is that is the bigger question mark i have in terms of their ethics is why did they choose to do it then if they had such a, a foolproof plan why did they snap at the end why oh, no, they, they don't have an end
0: later? they had no plan until scott showed up five years later so they did right. build in a realization about why they never thought to accomplish this because they had no conceptualization of the quantum realm. Right. And it's only when Scott shows up and reveals that time can work differently and then shares with them the information that there could potentially be a way to use the quantum realm as time travel that I think the the idea even emerges for them to think about it. But then you have to realize that it's Tony who says, bring everybody back. Not go back and undo this. Remember, he makes the Ah, just—he's not willing to give up. He's not willing to give up what he had with his with his daughter. So a lot of his actions are are jaded by his selfishness. (laughs) So here's a
1: question: is 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 Tony Hero an actual? Is Tony Stark the actual hero of the movie, or is he a villain of the of, or is he the villain of Phase Four and on?
0: Well, I think there's an interesting thing is that you know then you have to start questioning about what's driving so if you think about this from a less ethical more moral now tony's initial objection is based on ethical grounds that it's really not something they can do and that they are somehow violating the laws of natural order Mm -hmm. but when he sees that it can be done like tony stark is want to do when realizing that he could do something he all of a sudden goes okay so we can do this how and then it becomes a moral question because i think for stark he feels guilty i know captain america is fully believes that he's in the moral right and i think everybody who got left behind was left with a distinct sensation that this is what they tried to do at the beginning of the film and they failed because thanos had gotten rid of the stones right and it's their second chance so i think from a moral point of view it's arguable whether or not they were acting in a selfish way or were they you know working against the bounds of the universe now of course what i noted there about the tva and mm-hmm. men's Slayer being kind of quote unquote um sort of strangely the timeline guardians as terrible as they are we'll see more about that in a couple weeks mm-hmm. um they sort of sort of give them a pass because it's not unfair that loki's question it, he brings up that he caught them time traveling and yet he himself is being accused of being a variant from a timeline that shouldn't exist because of the avengers so loki and being loki being pruned would have every right to be offended that he was in fact um being punished for a crime he didn't commit in a sense Mm -hmm. a crime that was technically Mm -hmm. perpetrated by stark and the avengers you know of course, right. we can get to the whole thing there. But then again, I think Loki himself would feel differently once he saw that footage of his own life where he ends up always being killed by Thanos as his right. inevitability. Which, of course, leads us back to the whole um, you know um, free will determinism thing we'll get to more in different. I'm sure we'll swing back to later. But I just think from here, let's think about the moral implications from the point of view of the Avengers themselves. They, if we think about what we've spoken about previously about doing the right thing versus considering the consequences that utilitarian shall we say deontological approach the avengers are conceptualizing their choices within a deontological framework they believe doing what is right and what they believe is right is the most important thing they can do they have a self-righteousness to their actions they are far less concerned with shall we say um worrying about the consequences which is, strangely enough, by the way, something that the um, the Ancient One does push on with Banner in the film. Talking about the branching timelines. And she is the one who starts illustrating the idea about, you know, the idea that there might be consequences. Have you considered these things?
1: Which yeah, She is- th- she draws the first timeline yeah. that will
0: eventually start seeing more of in Facebook. Yeah. So she's, she is trying to make them aware of that. And I don't think that they are being ignorant of it, but they think that they can mitigate the damage. They're not acting willy-nilly. If we're using the multi, the example we said earlier about a multiversal timeline, they're not going back and killing their grandparents and not having a paradox and being real dismissive. They are acting with some sense of responsibility that they know what they are doing is they feel what they are doing is right. And they are at least maintaining some sense of the consequences because I don't think Tony can let go of that kind of point of view to begin with. Cap seems more comfortable. As we've said before, Cap is far more comfortable um, acting on what's right and what he believes to be right, rather than worrying about consequences. Tony worries about consequences, but they sort of seem to reach an agreement here in the idea that they'll do this and they will do their very best to make sure that they don't trample too much of the timeline. Like they're not going about this or trying to go back about this recklessly. Right. They're trying to go out like a precision surgeon might go at it. You know, they're trying to go in there, they're going to have to damage some tissue to get to the wound, but they're going to do what they can and try and sew it up as best they can. Of course, there's going to be a scar, but they're they're serving an idea of a greater good, which in some ways is also them serving as kind of a utilitarian purpose. But I think long-term here as we'll come to see, the consequences haven't been all good. No,
1: yeah. Well, I I think to me it kind of solidifies that maybe it was not morally or even ethically correct for them to go back um, because... So we're taught that these these heroes are some of the smartest people too, right? At least Mm -hmm. in the way that the movies try to portray them compared to others. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that's technological, whatever, I mean... Tony Stark built the Iron Man suit in a day in a cave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, So, um, so you kind of look at things like that and you get to a place where you're like, they, sh- I would like to think that they should have known just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. And yeah. to me, I I wonder if they had known about the idea of the sacred timeline. Right. And not just the, the sort of banner moment like that, because that was quick to explain away if they had truly had an understanding of things larger than their just universe let alone you know their world um would they have still made that choice i i don't know but i feel I think like that does it was a reckless choices. decision no matter how they did it
0: ultimately. well i think it's only really a reckless decision if you consider the the outside the box sort of ex machina things that we come to later i think within the time frame that they are acting they believe that they are acting in the best interest so i would not fault them for their moral point of view i would say mm-hmm. that there will be unintended consequences as with everything and fallout that perhaps in some ways they may or should have maybe anticipated more if they had known but i mean they again they're working with the information they have so i think it's easier to judge from an outside point of view that maybe they weren't morally acting i think they were morally i think they were morally correct but perhaps ethically wrong is kind of where i come down on this i think morally they they felt justified in doing what they do as superheroes to try and set right a mistake but even thanos kind of calls them out on it you know and they're still willing to persevere which is why i think they're acting within a deontological framework is that Even when Thanos calls them out, they're not going to back down from doing what they believe is right. You know, because Thanos calling them out about this thing that you know they couldn't not live with their mistake.
1: Right. That's that's he is pointing to their the fact that they lost.
0: Accept it. You lost. Yeah. I won. You lost. Think of the consequences. Move on. And they're unwilling to do that. So you could make. I think there's room to make an argument that perhaps there is a moral moral equivalency you could make an argument saying that there was some fault in their logic and thinking but i think we as the audience have a lot of more to operate on that they didn't you know and sure, of course sure. i will say certainly that captain, now right you know we'll say that captain america fine. staying behind in time to have a life was kind of a um i get that people like that he finally did that but i'm like you know he technically just forfeited his moral authority by doing that just say. Just saying, you know, True. he kind of like quit the game before the consequences came back to bite him.
1: Yes. So, well, hey, well, we don't know he if he's still alive. He's on the no, he does
0: Well, he, du- he basically dumped <laughs> it in Bucky and, Bucky and Sam's lap, as we'll be seeing this week, folks, on Off the Reels. Not Funny Guys present Off the Reels, this podcast coming next yeah. week. You'll be seeing us talk about a little bit about this whole um consequence getting ducted, ducted, dumped in Bucky and uh, F- Sam's lap, so.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I would say that there does feel like a a bit of consequence dumped on their lap. But I also think about it this way, which is that the cat America who went back in time is essentially a variant, right, as we'll come to know them. And so he is living out his life with... um, Agent Carter, who Peggy, might yeah. be, you know, Peggy, which might be why she never talks about her husband, or we never hear him mentioned by name, because he might have existed, arguably, throughout the entire timeline. Because this is future Cap going back. Mm-hmm. Also, why he looks older than um the 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 black guy, who's I forget his Isaiah name, Bradley, Isaiah. Thank you. Um, who we'll we'll learn about. I I've been watching. Yeah. Obviously, I'm already ahead. Um, and so. I think that, A, that's why we see Cap on the bench looking probably about 10 years older, because he's about 10 years older at this point than Isaiah Bradley or so would have been. Um, but he's also – he's he there are two Captain Americas in the world from the moment he goes back, right? So there's the one Cap America who will have his life up until the endgame moment where he goes back. And then there's the Cap America who is now the result of that going back, who will live out the quote-unquote life that um, – the true Captain America as we might have or the original Captain America, maybe a better way of saying it, as we knew him phase one through three, is still there doing his bit. Um and I, I would agree that there is probably a, a far more selfish reasoning to do it on his end than there was even for rescuing everyone. And so you know, morally he's maybe he's lost his high ground.
0: Well, he has, he's unable to he's he's not
1: willing to live with the consequences. But but I they, don't know that he's dumped dope. it on I don't know that he's dumped it on people though, right? Because no, I think that was I don't
0: think it's completely fair because there was a lot asked of him for most of his life.
1: Mm-hmm. That he didn't necessarily ask for. And we will so. come to see. Just how good of a person he really is. Once we're introduced yes. to John, um, John Walker. Walker. Thank you.
0: Yes, folks. Don't worry. We'll be coming back to this, and I think because
1: well, will we learn. Can, it's can, not can... just the serum. It's not just uh-huh. the, the shield. It's it's the person inside the suit that oh, makes everything out. It's exactly yeah, what skin exactly. set.
0: Which exactly is why he, said he, in he Captain
1: America first Avenger. You know, and he remember he chose Steve, not mm-hmm. anyone else. Yes. He, he was not the army choice. He was only the scientist moral clarity choice exactly
0: so i think i think we've kind of reached to a consensus here i think there's a lot more that we could debate about this but i think Mm. there is room to debate whether or not there was moral right in this and i think it's okay that we come to a point where we don't have a necessarily firm consensus but i think my argument i guess was my final thoughts are is that i think the avengers in particular are able perhaps morally right if not ethically wrong eric how would you feel about that morally right ethically wrong ethically wrong morally right how how do we think? What's your just gut feeling right now based on just the just what we've seen up into Avengers Endgame?
1: Ethically wrong for sure. Mm-hmm. Morally gray. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, is, is honestly the best I can give it, because I feel that there is a lot of there is a lot of truth to um Thanos's words, as we've said a couple times. And so it's hard for me to think that they purely did it to be a help, because I think they also did it to they had something to feel better.
0: Yeah. You know, right. So and I think, and I they think did it for two reasons. They, that's why I like the MCU movies, though. The really good MCU movies, I think, do this. They put you in situations where they force you to witness kind of a, a, an ethical, moral conundrum and then watches, you know, both sides have to sort of figure it out. And I think what we got in Avengers Endgame was a very clear kind of counter argument situation going on where the Avengers were forced to constantly during the course of their time travel face against what we might call counter arguments to the argument that they were operating on so i think that's a good place for us to leave it mm-hmm. folks tell us your thoughts what do you think about our, what we said here today tell us we want to hear from you guys you can write us at not funny guys dot off the reel at com. hit us up on instagram at at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents over on twitter at at not funny guys pod blue sky at the not funny guys till next time folks keep strange stay asking questions like that reverse it <laughs> stay strange keep asking questions there we go <laughs> I messed that one up and I just rolled with it let's just keep going all right till next time folks later folks.